0: All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final podcast here. Thanks for tuning in. I am back in LA now after an extended trip back home in Wisconsin ended up being like 6 weeks in total, which was just amazing getting to see lots of family and friends while I was there. Good to really see everyone. Some people I hadn't seen in over 2 years, especially with the the pandemic and of in sorts of stuff like that. So, um, but it was really good to be back home for that for that amount of time, really good to see everybody. But now I'm back here in L.A., we're less than a week away from the NFL Draft. I'll be having two final, final podcast episodes coming out before Thursday, the 29th, which is the first night of the NFL Draft round one, this episode here today, and then I'll be having my mock draft episode coming out on Tuesday, the 27th as well. Always one of, if not my favorite episodes that I do going back maybe four or five years now, counting my days at WSUM and the radio show there. Um, so that, that one you can expect coming out either early Tuesday or maybe even late Monday night, depending when I do it. I've got it almost finished up already, but uh, some news just happened this past weekend, actually yesterday now, that I have to do a few changes to it. So we'll, we'll get to that today as well, and you'll hear my mock draft episode coming up early next week. But all right, today... We'll get ourselves set up for that mock draft episode with some last-minute draft nudes and trades that came down that I just mentioned. We'll also get ready for the NBA playoffs, which are under a month away. Thank goodness they're close because this regular season has been mostly incredibly boring to watch. I've been more of a fan of baseball to start their season, which I I am a fan of baseball, but uh, usually I'm a bigger basketball fan, but basketball has just had a tough regular season this year. So we'll we'll get into that as well, and then a few housekeeping things at the end for my final thoughts. So thanks for tuning in each and every episode. I really appreciate it, guys. Let's go ahead and get started with the Chiefs and the Ravens making a last-second trade before the 2021 NFL Draft. So, I believe it was yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs traded for Baltimore Ravens starting tackle Orlando Brown Jr. So here's the quick details of the Chiefs, a lot of moving draft picks going on, but what it boils down to the Kansas City Chiefs get Orlando Brown Jr., they get the Ravens' second round pick this year, which is pick 58, and they get the Ravens' 2022 sixth round pick. While the Ravens, in turn, get the Chiefs' first round pick this year, which was pick 31, they get their third round pick and fourth round pick from this year's draft as well, and they also get a 2022 fifth round pick from the Chiefs. So that's all the moving pieces here in that Chiefs-Ravens trade. The main thing is that Orlando Brown Jr., the starting, used to be the starting right offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, moved over to the left offensive tackle once their starting tackle, Ronnie Stanley, went down. He's going to Kansas City now in this trade. And this was inevitable that the Baltimore Ravens were end, going to end up trading Orlando Brown Jr., he played left tackle for them, was a pro bowler this past season, wanted to be their starting right left tackle excuse me, going forward. But the, the Ravens already had a pro bowl, all pro left tackle in Ronnie Stanley. So when he was going to come back from injury, he was going to be their starting left tackle. Orlando Brown wanted to be a starting left tackle, wants to get paid like a starting left tackle. So now he'll be going to the Chiefs where he'll be their starting left tackle going forward. And this is the something that the Chiefs have needed to do all offseason, and they've been doing it. I mean, if you remember early in the offseason, they released both of their starting tackles, Mitchell Schwartz on the right side, Eric Fisher on the left side. They released both of these guys due to cap constraints, and then they've just been rebuilding this offensive line the entire offseason after releasing their two starting tackles. They also released their starting center, I believe. Then they went out and signed Joe Thune, the right guard or one of the guards from the New England Patriots to a five-year $80 million deal. They go out now. They trade for Orlando Brown Jr. They also sign uh, Kyle Long out of retirement. He decided to come out of retirement. He'll be playing one of their other guard spots. They're also getting their tackle who opted out last season due to COVID and was helping. um, I believe he was a doctor up in Canada, I believe. So they'll be getting him back as well. So the Chiefs realized... What their biggest problem was as a team that just made the Super Bowl, and they went out in free agency this year, they addressed it immediately. They didn't wait for the draft. They thought, at pick 31, are we really going to be able to get a top-tier offensive tackle to try and protect Patrick Mahomes? And that's the number one thing. We saw it in the in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes has no time. Even with no time, he's still able to make some incredible plays. But here, the Chiefs, they go out and they're rebuilding their entire offensive line. They can still get another offensive lineman, late in the second round. They have two picks now at the end of the second round. But Orlando Brown Jr., a former Pro Bowler at right tackle, then last year a Pro Bowler at the left tackle spot. I mean, they didn't sign him to a contract extension yet. They'll probably do that next offseason. But, I mean, this is a move by the Chiefs that keeps them all in every year. When you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, you have the weapons around him still, of course. Those aren't going anywhere. And Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey... They've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield still. They've got Nicole Hardman. They've got guys all speed all around him. So the weapons aren't going anywhere. The biggest thing that we saw for the Chiefs was their offensive line. Their two offensive tackles weren't available in the Super Bowl. They couldn't afford them if if they weren't healthy either. So they decided to release them and they're rebuilding this offensive line now. I think this is a big win for the Chiefs. For me, it's a little bit of a head scratcher for the Ravens. Yes, I know you get another first round pick. You give up a second round pick, you also get third and fourth round picks. I think when they did the math, there's there's what draft picks are worth. It came out to the Chiefs ended up or I'm sorry, the Ravens ended up getting what was worth like a an early second round pick for Orlando Brown Jr., like pick forty or something like that is what it the math ended up being. But the thing that was head scratching for me is the Ravens and the Chiefs, those are considered two contenders in the AFC to make it to the Super Bowl, right? The Ravens will be competing with the Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl. So I just, uh, what kind of confused me for the Ravens is you're kind of trading with someone who you're hoping to compete against or hoping to beat to get to that Super Bowl eventually with Lamar Jackson and the rest of that team. Now I know Orlando Brown Jr. wasn't going to be on the team this upcoming year. Ronnie Stanley's coming back. You can get something else for Orlando Brown Jr. He's not going to be your right tackle. But to trade him to arrival like that where you're going to be competing with them in the playoffs hopefully was a little head-scratching but for the Chiefs this is just makes all the sense in the world there's no player that I think at pick 31 that they're going to get as quality of caliber that they will of Orlando Brown Jr. who can be an all-pro type left tackle so this makes a ton of sense for the Chiefs in my opinion they'll have Orlando Brown at the left tackle they'll have Joe Thune at their left guard, let's say they'll have Austin Blythe at the center position, Kyle Long at the right guard, and then they still have to figure out that right tackle position. It could be um, the guy that went to Canada to be a doctor for a whole year during COVID. He could step in there. They could also sign someone. They also have the 58th and what is it, 63rd pick in the second round that this is a deep class of offensive tackles that could work out for the Chiefs and that's what they could do to rebuild this offensive line. Don't have to worry about it, and it's something that we saw was a weakness for them in the Super Bowl. And now for the Ravens, this leaves a big hole for them on their offensive line as they, they'll have Ronnie Stanley at the left tackle. They have a wide-open spot at right, right tackle now with Brown and Stanley, I mean, only Stanley being there. So, I mean, they've talked about bringing in Alejandro Villanueva, the former right tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're also in contact with Dennis Kelly a former tackle for the Tennessee Titans, that's something they could do. But now with one of those first-round picks, they have two in this upcoming draft. We'll see what that, what that does for them. It kind of leaves a big hole for them on their offensive line, and their offensive line is everything. The Ravens have always, not always, but in the past three, four years, and especially with Lamar Jackson, have had one of the top offensive lines in football, one of the best-running offenses in football, and now they have a big hole. So we'll see how this ends up working for the Ravens. So far for me, this is a great trade for the Chiefs as they rebuild that offensive line in front of Patrick Mahomes. But we'll see how this turns out for the Ravens if they can do something with those two first-round picks and some of those extra picks that they uh, got in this trade for Orlando Brown Jr., an all-pro and a pro bowler. At both offensive tackle spots, he's very versatile, which is another key for the Chiefs here. And so like I said, the draft, less than one week away now. As I mentioned earlier, I'll have my mock draft episode for 2021 coming up early next week. Hopefully, coming Monday night or Tuesday early. But let's say, what do we, what do we expect coming up in this upcoming draft? I mean, we got four teams now with multiple first-round picks. We got the Jaguars, we got the Jets, the Dolphins, and now the Ravens. I mean, we've had a couple of trade-ups, trades with picks, and everyone presumes. They know what the first two picks are going to be in this draft with Trevor Lawrence going number one overall, Zach Wilson most likely going number two overall after the Jets traded Sam Darnold to the Panthers, making room there for themselves to take a quarterback, which I think I'll touch on here really quick, I think was a good move for both parties. I mean, Sam Darnold, he, he, he didn't have the weapons around him. He had to go through two or three different coaches in his first three years In the league, his offensive line was terrible. He was getting sacked the most every year. Now he gets to go to the Panthers. They also have a little bit of struggles with their offensive line right now, but they have weapons galore on that offense. They have Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator with LSU Tigers when Joe Burrow had that incredible season, 60 touchdowns, national champions, all that. He's with the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule, another good coach coming from college uh, from the Baylor Bears. He's had some success so far with the Carolina Panthers. So I think that's a good move for the Jets to let go of Sam Darnold like this, give Sam Darnold a fresh start. He'll have the weapons of Christian McCaffrey, maybe the best running back in football. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson as well at the wide receiver position, better than any weapons he's ever had, probably combined (laughs) with the New York Jets. So I think that's great for Sam Darnold and the Panthers there. And then on the Jets' perspective, They have a new head coach, Robert Sala, new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. I think this gives everybody a clean break. The Jets will take their quarterback, and everybody's presuming it's going to be Zach Wilson out of BYU, but now the Jets, what they have to do is they have to make sure that they're not in the exact same position in three or four years where they are ready to give up on Zach Wilson because they didn't surround him with enough talent, they didn't surround him with an offensive line to keep him protected. The Jets have been in this cycle over and over. So they got to change something here, and hopefully they can get it right with Zach Wilson and and don't mess it up this time. So the first two picks seem to be a lock with Trevor Lawrence going to the Jaguars, Zach Wilson going to the Jets after they traded Sam Darnold. The third pick now is kind of where the draft starts. We know it's going to be a quarterback with that third overall pick. The San Francisco 49ers trading up from 12 to 3 question is which quarterback we're, we're we're getting past that part in the draft now where we're getting this misleading news in these teams that are interested in a lot of those rumors have quieted down like team x is is interested in player y and this guy is the fastest riser in the draft he would be a perfect fit here and there we saw that where the 49ers everybody all of a sudden said mac jones is the guy to go to the 49ers now the 49ers are at justin fields' pro day Oh, look, they're running the pro day for Trey Lance at North Dakota State. We're getting past a little bit of that, a little bit of this misdirection. So we'll see. I mean, this is where the draft will get interesting. We know it's going to be a quarterback at number three. We don't know which quarterback. And then depending on which quarterback it is, that'll determine the rest of the top 10 and the rest of the first round of the draft going forward. So it's really exciting. I believe what to expect in this upcoming draft is we're going to have five quarterbacks taken in the first round, no question. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. I don't think you're going to see um, a quarterback sneak in at the end of the first round. None of this Davis Mills or Kellen Mond, I don't think they're going to sneak in at the end of the first round for a team that wants like that fifth-year option. You see that a lot with teams when a, when there's a quarterback near the end of the first round, teams will trade back in to get one of those guys. I think these top five guys, they're going to go within the top 15 picks. So expect quarterbacks to go early. Another thing to expect in this upcoming draft, offensive players and offensive skill positions, they're just going to go, there's going to be a ton of offensive players taken in this draft. It's going to be wide receivers, the quarterbacks, the five of them taken in the first round, and offensive tackles. There's going to be a lot of them taken. I think what we've got at least four first-round wide receivers that I think are going to be taken, at least another four or five offensive tackles taken. So right there, you're at over half of the first round taken on just quarterbacks, wide receivers, and offensive tackles. There's still going to be some offensive guards taken as well. This is a very heavy and very talented offensive class in the 2021 NFL Draft. So that's what to expect, I think, coming into this uh, first round of the NFL Draft. It'll be really exciting. After the first two picks is when it'll really get uh, interesting and to see what the 49ers do with that third overall pick. And then if once the the 49ers take their quarterback, it'll be looking to the Falcons. Do the Falcons want to take their future quarterback? I mean, Matt Ryan, he's 30, what is he, 36 or 37 now, 35. Either way, he hasn't been the same player that he was when Kyle Shanahan was there and he won his MVP and he led the Falcons to the Super Bowl. I don't know how often the Falcons are going to be picking in the top five where they can take their potential franchise future quarterback. So do they want to take that at number four or do they want to take this generational type tight end that everybody's talking about in Kyle Pitts out of Florida where he could match up then with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and then Kyle Pitts, and then Matt Ryan. The four of them would be a fantastic offense, but do the Falcons then risk not getting the future of their franchise set up with a quarterback after Matt Ryan? We'll see how they go with there. I mean, they have a new head coach in Arthur Smith as well, the former offensive coordinator from Tennessee. So, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of decisions to do with that fourth overall pick. Another thing they could do is just trade back. A team like the Broncos, a team like the Patriots, a team like the Bears may want to trade up all the way to that fourth overall spot to get one of those top five quarterbacks. So, I mean, we know the first three picks are going to be quarterbacks. Not sure which one's going to be number three, most likely. But then at that fourth spot... Is when, is when the Falcons really have a choice to make, whether it's quarterback, whether it's they want that generational-type tight end that everybody is talking about in Kyle Pitts. They're already calling him. They think he could be a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time. I just, I'll just, i talk about that next week, but like, pump the brakes. The kid's just coming out of college. Yes, he can have those expectations for himself, but if you put those on him before he even sees a snap on the NFL field, I mean, come on, you're almost setting him up to fail if he's not the next Tony Gonzalez or the next— Travis Kelsey or something like that. But anyways, the Falcons could go that way with Kyle Pitts or they could trade back for a team that actually does want a quarterback. So it'll be really fun to see. I think there's still going to be a lot of movement in the top five, top 10 picks this year. All right. Another thing that I want to get to is positions that the Packers may target with their first round pick. They're picking 29th this year. And there's um, someone that I follow on social media. His name's Andy Herman. He's a part of uh, the Pack a Day podcast. It's a really good podcast. They do, I think, like 20, 30 minutes, one every day. They just had their 1,000th episode in a row, which is, what, over three years every day of a podcast, so that's really cool. But uh, he was talking about how the Packers look at their first-round draft picks, and it makes sense how the Packers approach the first round, and it's premium positions, like positions that you need on on your team that, that have higher value than the likes of wide receivers and running backs. In stuff in line middle linebackers and stuff like that because a lot of teams are able to find really good prospects like this later in the draft whereas these are the premium positions that help your football team win and he's talking about quarterback he's talking about offensive line he's talking about defensive line he's talking about corner i think i'm missing one more there no those are the four quarterback offensive line defensive line cornerback oh and edge rusher that's the that's the fifth one that i was forgetting so what they do, the Packers look at these five positions as the premium spots, premium positions that you need on your team that are most successful, that help your team succeed the most, protecting the quarterback, obviously the quarterback, getting after the quarterback, and then defending the pass, right? So they also like young players in the first round and really athletic players to come out of there. They, they take athletic defensive linemen, they take athletic pass rushers, Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, for example, They take athletic quarterbacks, Jordan Love, for example, athletic defensive lineman, Kenny Clark. They take athletic offensive lineman, Brian Balaga, David Bakhtiari, guys like that. So you can expect the Packers to take one of those five positions with their first-round pick. I think we can eliminate quarterback this year. Most likely they have Jordan Love already on the team, of course. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers just coming off of his MVP season. I think we can eliminate quarterback. Defensive line, it's kind of a weak defensive line class this year. They've got Kenny Clark. Maybe they can find someone later in the draft. But spending a first-round pick on someone that's not as... I mean, there's i mean, there's great edge rushers available around the 29th pick, and the, there's great cornerbacks available around the 29th pick. I think that's where we're going to see the Packers target with their first-round pick. Oh, and there's a lot of offensive line depth as well. Those are going to be the three positions with a weak defensive line class this year. It's going to be between, I believe, offensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback. Some offensive tackles to keep in mind because David Bakhtiari is going to probably miss the start of the season. Remember, he tore his ACL right before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, the NFC Championship game. He most, I mean, he. I've, we've seen a couple of videos of him already. Uh, what was it? Aaron Rodgers was wearing a VR headset and uh, boxing with the VR, and David Bakhtiari was messing with him while he had that on. He looks good moving around, but still, this is an ACL. It's a nine-month minimum, usually, kind of procedure, unless you're Adrian Peterson. So I expect him to miss possibly week one, a couple weeks into it as well. So, I mean, you'll have to do some shuffling along that offensive line. They also lost Corey Lindsley. They're all pro center. So offensive line is a position of need. Cornerback, they did re-sign Kevin King, but just to a one-year deal, and that's position that they need to fill opposite of jair alexander one of the best corners in the nfl but i mean you have to be able to solidify that second cornerback spot otherwise they won't target jair alexander i mean that's good that the fact that there he can take away at least one side of the field or one receiver on any given play but if they can then exploit your second cornerback that's something that the packers might need to address they can do that with the 29th pick and then edge rusher as well zadarius smith preston smith um, one or both of them might not be on the team next year, given how their contracts are set up. Preston Smith was one that was a candidate for being cut this year. So, I mean, they need some more depth behind just Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary. They could use a couple of guys that could be around that 29th spot. So the Packers, those are probably what I would expect the Packers to target with their first round pick. This is something that Andy Herman has gone back and looked at in draft history for the Packers of premium position picks. They don't usually take wide receivers, and they shouldn't have to. I think, one, this wide receiver class this year is very deep. They can get talent in the second, third, or even fourth round, and we've seen the Packers do that. Devontae Adams is a second-round pick. I believe Jordy Nelson is a second-round pick. Randall Cobb, James Jones, all these guys found second, third, fourth rounds. Some of these guys even are, are undrafted. Alan Lazard, for example. So, I mean, the Packers have some options. I don't have to reach for wide receivers. And if history tells us one thing, they won't as well. Running back isn't going to be something they need in the first round after re-signing Aaron Jones and having A.J. Dillon. And middle linebacker is just something that Brian Gudekinst and Matt LaFleur don't seem to value as much. There's a couple of middle linebackers that could potentially fall to them in the first round. There's a linebacker out of Notre Dame, very versatile, that could be there. One out of Kentucky and one out of Missouri, a couple of guys that could fill a need for the Packers, but it's not something that they usually value as much. So it's going to be between offensive tackle, edge rusher, and cornerback. Those are going to be the three positions I think that the Packers are going to be looking for with their first round pick, and we'll see. And I'll and you'll see who my pick is for the Packers come Tuesday when I release my 2021 mock draft episode. All right. One last thing on the NFL here. This is actually kind of a cool cool news that I want to talk about. The NFL's rule on allowing relaxation on player numbers. So receivers and linebackers and running backs, they can all uh change their numbers if they want this upcoming season on whatever they want to. Now actually the the rules have kind of been really relaxed. Here's the here's the numbers for the proposals that they can actually do. So it allows Quarterbacks, punters, and place kickers to wear numbers 1 through 19. That doesn't change. But now defensive backs, they can wear 1 through 49. So, I mean, I think it's Jalen Ramsey that wore, like, number 8 or something in college, or was it number 2? I don't know, but he can wear any single-digit number that he wants now, Two Running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, they can also wear 1 through 49 and then can also keep 80 through 89. So I think it was... Uh, Dalvin Cook <laughs> recently came out and saw that he could change his number back to number four, which is what he wore in college. But then the problem is if these guys want to do this, they have to buy out the rest of the inventory of their current jersey number. So if Delvin Cook wanted to switch his number from 33 to four, which he's allowed to do now with this new rule, he would have to buy the rest of all the Vikings jerseys that have his name and number 33. He doesn't want to do that at this point because it would cost, I think, it's around like over a million or something of how many jerseys that are out there still for sale with number 33 on it. Offensive linemen can now wear 50 through 79. Defensive linemen can do 50 through 79 and 90 through 99. And now you can have linebackers, outside linebackers, pass rushers, and middle linebackers. They can wear numbers 1 through 59 and 90 through 99 as well. So that's going to be really cool to see which guys do it obviously this rule works best for rookies coming in because they don't have to buy out any new or any previous numbers. So like if Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't want to change his number. He's still in that same one through 19 range, but let's say, uh, Derek Henry, his number right now is 22. He used to wear number two in college. If he wanted to change that, he'd have to buy out all the Tennessee Titans, Derek Henry, 22 jerseys out there. So then they could replace them with the number two jersey. It's the same thing in the NBA when players want to change their number if they're on the same team. When they change teams, of course, they don't have to do anything with that, but we'll see which players end up doing it. I think it'll be really cool to see if some of these guys actually end up going that route. Actually, one guy, though, who's not a fan of this is Tom Brady. Ugh, old man Tom, just getting upset about it, posting on social media about uh, have fun blocking or tackling the right guy. It's like, what? You're wearing different color jerseys, and if if you can't tell the difference there, I mean we got different problems that we should probably be talking about, but tom Brady not very happy with the new uh rule change. I think he's just being uh a little unnecessary with his uh with his criticism of this new rule. I think it'll be a lot of fun a lot of players like wearing those single digit numbers. I wore a single digit number in high school, so we'll see which ones decide to switch back all right, that's all I have on the n f l right now remember. NFL mock draft episode coming out early next week, Monday night, or early Tuesday, hopefully, as I've still got a couple changes that i got to make to it with this new Ravens trade that we just discussed. But all right, moving on to the NFL now. We are in the final month of the season. The NBA has really been struggling this regular season to keep it interesting, as so many of their superstars and all-stars have been injured for long periods of time throughout the year. I mean, LeBron James... Anthony Davis just returned from a 30 games after after missing 30 games with an injury. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, the big three on the Nets. We haven't seen them all play together since February 13th. They've only played a total of, I believe, five or six games of the three of them on the floor. All of them have been out at different times. Kevin Durant came back, got injured again. James Harden recently just had a setback with his injury. Kyrie Irving is in and out of the lineup. I mean, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid's missed close to 20 games. Ben Simmons now close to 10. Kawhi Leonard, he's out every other game. Jamal Murray just tore his ACL. Of course, Klay Thompson hasn't played this whole year. Carl Anthony Towns just got back from like 30 games of missing. LaMelo Ball broke his wrist and has been out for at least 20 games. Jimmy Butler, John Wall, Kemba Walker. The list goes on on how many all-stars and superstars have missed time this year. And these stars are also just missing primetime games on television due to having a lot of these games being back-to-back-to-back, three games in three days, because it's a shortened season. Remember, the season ended in October last year. They started it early December this year, so, I mean, not a lot of off-season time. And then you've got these superstars resting, so they don't have to play back-to-back games like this. I mean, especially for teams like the Heat and the Lakers. I mean, LeBron... Had the late season last year with the NBA bubble in Orlando. And now, of course, he got injured this year. I think he's missed already close to 15 games. He's going to miss at least another week and a half or two weeks. And we still got, and then he's got maybe two weeks to get ready for the playoffs as they're, I think, the fifth seed right now. But I mean, the NBA is, I mean, they've had games on ESPN, TNT, and ABC. And when they have these big matchups, but the big-time players aren't playing, like when the Lakers are on prime time, but you don't get to see LeBron James or Anthony Davis. You're not going to turn that game on. I mean, the NBA has been struggling with its ratings. There's been two things, though, that have been keeping them afloat. One is Steph Curry has saved the end of the regular season, at least, for the NBA. He had that—his he just, his streak just ended, but it was an incredible streak of 30-plus points per game. In 11 games, he had, I think, a couple of 50-point games— multiple 40-point games in that in that streak of th- at least 30 points per game and he had multiple games with 10 plus threes. This is the most in- amazing thing in my opinion. 21 he's had 21 career games with 10 plus threes in his career. He had 3 of them in one week. 21 career 10 plus 3 games. That's the most in NBA history. The next closest, I believe, has either 5 or 6. So he has 21, the next closest has five or six, and he had at least three of them in one week where he had 10 plus threes. It was amazing, the shooting that he's putting on. We've seen scoring streaks like this, 11 11 games of 30 plus points per game isn't something we haven't seen. That's not even in the top five, I think, for best scoring streaks. Actually, I think it was three years ago now, James Harden had over 30 games of scoring at least 30 plus points. So we've seen scoring streaks like that. But what Steph Curry was doing, was more than just scoring. His was a shooting streak. It was unbelievable. The threes he was making, how he was making them, the shots. I mean, there was one where he gets fouled and throws up a left-handed shot as a four-point play. He made it with his left hand off balance, not even looking at the hoop. He was was so hot. It was insane to watch. So that was one thing when they put those games on TV. People were watching Steph Curry go off, and that was something that helped save their ratings a little bit near the end of this as I mean— as I mentioned, look at, I mean, Giannis even missed 10 games this season. Joel Embiid, LeBron James, these guys have all missed a minimum of 10 games this season. Steph Curry missed some games as well, but this scoring streak of 11 games propelled them back into the playoff uh, picture as well. So that was another thing that helped with the with the ratings and watching Steph Curry. But man, that 30 points, points—that uh, those 11 games of scoring at least 30 points, multiple games at least 40 points, I think a couple of 50-point games as well was incredible to watch, something that really helped keep the NBA relevant down the stretch here, as otherwise people are just talking about which team is going to end up as the one seed, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it really didn't matter who was going to end up where because Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving weren't playing for the for the Nets. Joel Embiid was out for almost two, three weeks for the 76ers. Giannis has been out for a couple of games. LeBron and Anthony Davis have missed. Uh, Anthony Davis missed two months. LeBron is on at least one month now. So, I mean, thank goodness for Steph Curry there to keep the NBA relevant for a little bit here down the stretch. And then the other thing, too, is the New York Knicks now have taken over. Steph Curry's streak has ended, but now the New York Knicks are on a streak of their own. They've won nine straight games. They just won their ninth in a row today. Always good to have the NBA—always good for the NBA, excuse me, when your big market teams are winning. They just need L.A. to get their big stars back as well now. But Julius Randle has scored a couple of 40-point games as well. He's on a run for the New York Knicks, and this is really good to see because Julius Randle struggled when he was with the Lakers, struggled with that kind of spotlight, goes now to the Knicks and has just blossomed into that spotlight, struggled with the New Orleans Pelicans a little bit as well, figured it out in his maybe last year. Something got a big deal with the Knicks, and now the Knicks are in one of those top four seeds. In the East, and are looking really, really good coming down the stretch as we get closer to the playoff time. Not one of those teams that you can take lightly coming into the playoffs in a seven game series. Head coach Tom Thibodeau, he's been in the playoffs before as well. So, this is really exciting to watch in New York. Everybody's been saying, When is New York going to get a superstar? When is Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, when is someone like that, Zion Williamson, when are they going to come to New York? Well, right now, they've got their guy in Julius Randle, and they've got a couple of pieces around him, and they've won nine straight games. They're going to look for their 10th straight win in a couple of days as well. So this is something that Steph Curry and, and the New York Knicks right now keeping the NBA alive down the stretch here as they're missing a lot of their superstars, all-stars with injury. But here's the things that we have to keep an eye on in the last month. This is, this is the stuff now. Last month is when the NBA really can ramp it up and, and can keep themselves relevant the rest of the regular season has been brutal because like i mentioned all those superstars missing but now the last month the playoffs kind of start a little bit early P- teams trying to get in teams trying to position position themselves in the standing so that they don't have to face team x in the first round or anything like that but here's some things that we have to keep an eye on down the stretch here for the nba season first thing is the race for the one seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, if we take a look right now, I believe the Brooklyn Nets own the first seed by half a game over the Philadelphia 76ers. The Bucs, then, are three games behind that one seed. Here's the big difference between that one seed and, say, that two seed, and this is why it's such a big deal. Whichever team gets that one seed will only have to face either the Philadelphia 76ers or the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's just say right now it's Brooklyn. They would have to face either or, not both. Now, say you're the two seed, like the Philadelphia 76ers, in the second round, you'd have to face the Milwaukee Bucks, most likely. Then in the conference championship, you'd have to face the Brooklyn Nets. If you got past them to the NBA Finals, it's between, let's say, the the Clippers, the Lakers, and and the Nuggets. That's a brutal stretch of seven-game series. Probably all going to go at least six or seven games. If you get that one seed, though... Your first game, let's say, is probably going to be against either Indiana or Charlotte. That's an easy four-game sweep. Then your second round matchup is either going to come against the Knicks or the Hawks, both very inexperienced teams in the playoffs. The Knicks haven't been to the playoffs in who knows how long. The Atlanta Hawks haven't been to the playoffs since they had Mike Budenholzer and Al Horford, Kyle Korver, all those kind of guys on the team. So they haven't been there as well, and they've got Trey Young and his is it his third season now leading the way? So, I mean, two very inexperienced teams. That's who you would face in the second round, whereas if you don't have that number one seed, you'd either face a team like the Bucs or the 76ers or the Nets if you're if you're in that second or third seed. So that's how important that number one seed is going to be in the Eastern Conference. You don't have to face one of those top three teams twice. Hopefully that makes sense. So if you're the Bucs, you don't want to have to go through the 76ers to get to the Brooklyn Nets, to then get to the finals and, say, face the Clippers or something like that. Whereas if you have that one seat as the Milwaukee Bucks, you get to face, say, the Knicks in the second round, then you face either the 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets in that conference championship game. So that's important. That's something that we have to watch coming down the end here. The MVP debate between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid is heating up A lot of people are going to be on two different sides of the fence on this one. This one's going to be highly contested. One, Nikola Jokic is having a great season. He's averaging, I think, around 26, 27 points per game, 11 rebounds, eight assists, really high for a center, where Joel Embiid has just been dominating when he's playing, around 30, 31 points per game, 11 to 12 rebounds, really great on defense as well. But the problem is Joel Embiid has missed close to 20 games. And I think I heard that we haven't had an NBA MVP miss that many games. Remember, this is also only a 72-game season, not an 82-game season. This is 72 games. We haven't had an MVP win that or miss that many games in terms of percentage of the games missed in a season. We haven't had an MVP miss that many games since, I think, Bill Walton back in, what was it, the 60s or 70s when Bill Walton was playing? Probably the 70s. Boy, I have to double-check that. But still. It's we've set a precedent for NBA MVPs that you have to be available, you have to be playing a lot of these games. Now Joel Embiid has been dominant when he has been playing the games, but he's missed so many. Is that something that the voters are going to take away and penalize him for, or are they going to make an exception this year with Joel Embiid? Whereas you have Nikola Jokic, he hasn't missed a single game. The Nuggets are a top-four seed in the Western Conference, a very loaded Western Conference But Joel Embiid has the 76ers as the one or the two seed right now in the Eastern Conference and has been dominant when he's playing. So that's something we'll watch come down the stretch. If Joel Embiid misses two, three more games, I think that's going to help push it for Nikola Jokic. If Jokic, even if Embiid doesn't miss any more games and Jokic goes off, propels them into one of those top two seeds in the Western Conference, I think it'll be his as well. So this is something that we'll have to watch come down the end here in the NBA I think right now it's a two man race between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Third thing, the play in tournament games. Remember, this year it's it's that new play in tournament, the seven through the ten seed in both conferences have a play in tournament to see who gets the seven and eight seed in the playoffs. Right now in the Eastern Conference, it's Miami, Charlotte, Indiana Pacers, and Washington Wizards as excuse me, as your seven, eight, nine, and ten seeds. Western Conference, it's Portland, Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio. And now San Antonio as your 10 seed, they've got about three and a half game lead over the 11 seed. so they, they seem good right now. New Orleans is the 11 seed. They could turn it on any second. But this 10 seed is highly contested in the Eastern Conference with Chicago and Toronto looking on their way in past Washington. and then Boston as the six seed is only one game ahead of the seven seed in that tournament. So even if you get that 7 or 8 seed, you're not guaranteed a spot in the Eastern Conference playoff. So that'll be highly contested, something we'll all be watching to see for the first time ever, which are the four teams in each conference that'll have to play in that play-in tournament, and we'll see how that goes and if, if they keep it around for years to come. Two other things, the Lakers seeding and LeBron James's injury. Right now the Lakers are the fifth seed, so if the playoffs started today, and let's just say LeBron was, was healthy— The Lakers would be the five seed. They would have to place the Denver Nuggets in the first round, and they would be the road team. So four out of the seven games, if it went seven-game series, would be in Denver. We'll see how soon LeBron James comes back, but the the question is, does it matter where the Lakers end up in the seeding, where if they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy, are they still the best team in the Western Conference? We'll see if that seeding kind of matters now that we're back and out of that bubble of Orlando where i don't think last year the seating really mattered this year i think it'll matter a little bit more each almost every team i believe now is having fans come back to their stadiums home court advantage denver of course is mile high there's all it's always different playing in denver we'll see if the lakers when lebron james comes back if the seating matters to them or if they don't really care who they play in the first round and then last thing The Nets and their team chemistry if, this is a big if right now, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie Irving all play together. Like I mentioned, they've only played six, seven games all season together with just those three. James Harden just had a setback in his injury. Is he going to be ready by the end of the regular season? Kevin Durant got injured again as well. I think he's still closer to returning maybe next week. Um, Middle of next week, I think, is hopefully when he comes back, Kyrie Irving has been playing great right now, but he's also one of those guys that sometimes just thinks he needs a day off or won't be on the team for a day. So my question is, if the three of them don't play together and the first time they play together is in the playoffs, is that enough time for them to build chemistry where, let's say they don't get that number one overall seed, all of a sudden in the second round they have to face the Milwaukee Bucks who have been building that chemistry all season. They have a legit big three, not the same as Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, but they have Giannis Atenacumpo, Chris Middleton, a former All Star, and then Drew Holiday, who is a great postseason performer. We've seen him lock down players in the playoffs when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans, and he shut down CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard. Will they have enough time to work the three of them together and and face off against the Milwaukee Bucks? Would that would they be able to get through that? That's something that we'll have to see with the Nets as well. Their team chemistry and if they can all get healthy, stay on the court and piece it all together. It'll have to be this quick. <laughs> Otherwise, before you know it, they'll be bounced out of the playoffs. All right. And then last thing that I want to mention too for the NBA is the death of Terrence Clark, a 19-year-old freshman guard out of Kentucky who was preparing for the NBA draft. Oh, just a horrible thing to read about. Um, I think it was maybe two days ago now. He was driving in Los Angeles, and I, I think I'm reading that he didn't have his seatbelt on properly, and he crashed into another car, then ended up hitting a light pole and eventually a, a wall, essentially, and was, was taken to the hospital where he where he later died in the hospital. But man, just a, a lot of people reaching out. He was going to be signing with uh, Rich Paul Clutch Sports, which is also the, the same as uh, LeBron James and a lot of other NBA players. That have signed there but man just a, just a horrible thing to see when his a lot of his Kentucky teammates and and players and his coaches are just sick and it's just sick to see um, such a, a young man taken too soon and, and, and dying in a car crash like that is' really horrible to see so I, I pray for his family and everybody that's involved uh, best wishes and, and of course uh we're very sorry to hear that but man It just came out of nowhere, too. This was going to be a top 10 pick, maybe a top 15 pick in in the upcoming NBA draft. Just really sad to see that Terrence Clark, a 19-year-old freshman guard out of Kentucky, died in a car crash recently in L.A. But all right, final thought then here on the final, final podcast. Actually, for this one, I've I've decided to go with a house cleaning kind of uh, final thought as I've got a couple of things that I want to mention. First of all, I haven't mentioned it since, but the Baylor Bears winning the 2021 March Madness Championship, the NCAA Championship, defeating unbeaten Gonzaga wasn't even close to the entire game. I remember watching this one. I think they jumped out to what was it like a 15 to two lead or like a, maybe an, even an 18 to like four lead or something like that. They jumped on him quick and then they just ran away with it, ended up winning 86 to 70. I believe that was Baylor's so, Baylor only had two losses this entire season. And I think a lot of people were just underestimating Baylor a little bit because of how good Gonzaga was. But Baylor's defense was unbelievable in just slowing down Gonzaga's offense. Really took it to him through the whole game. Never slowed up. Ended up winning by 16. So, congratulations to Baylor winning the 2021 NCAA championship. Another house cleaning thing right here Hideki Matsuyama becoming the first male Japanese player to win the Masters. Incredible. So good for him and the game of golf moving forward, in my opinion. Very cool to watch. I had fun watching the the end of this uh, Masters tournament, even without Tiger Woods, who we talked about. He seems to be doing well in his recovery from his car crash as well. But Hideki Matsuyama, becoming the first male Japanese player to win the Masters. I mean, he's talking about, I mean, there was they were showing broadcast of the Japanese broadcast and how excited they were for Masayama. But man, he made it interesting down the end where he made, I think he had a double bogey on, was it 15? It was either 15 or 16 where he had that double bogey. Masayama just hopes Japan was happy to see him win. I mean, this is going to inspire many more Japanese-born players to play golf and hopefully just grow the game more, make it more worldwide, which of course golf already is. But becoming the first Japanese player, of course, this just inspires more people like Tiger Woods did when he was when he made golf really cool back in the early 2000s and stuff like that. I mean, so historic there. He won by one stroke, but congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama on winning the 2021 Masters Tournament. So that was really cool to watch as well. And then last podcast, it was Badgers women's hockey was the topic after they won after winning the national championship. This episode, it's the Badgers women's volleyball making it all the way to the Final Four, unfortunately losing to Texas, but I believe it was in the last two years that they just won the national championship. I mean, they've got players like Dana Retke as well that have just propelled the women's volleyball team at Wisconsin to one of the best in the nation, so that was really cool to see. Unfortunate, but I mean, making it to another Final Four in the past two, three years after winning a championship within the past two, three years. Very, very impressive by the women's volleyball team at Wisconsin. I mean, women's sports just dominating left and right for the Badgers, so very cool to see. All right, and then my final, final thought today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast is the Derek Chauvin trial verdict came down. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three charges in the murder of George Floyd, as we all know. Unfortunately with the second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter charge, all found guilty. I mean the sports world was reacting to this. We were all waiting for this to come down. Thank goodness we got the results that we did, but I mean this was a this was a weird one on, on how we uh, saw some of the reaction and, and a lot of just every other people's reaction. I mean, the first thought was like, Thank goodness that this was our the the finally the call and, and justice was hopefully a lot of the thought that was going around accountability relief for some I mean George Floyd's family maybe hopefully got some relief from this as well but there's still sorrow in some of the reaction that we get from something like this because I mean a man still his life was still taken away from him when it obviously didn't need to be I mean so hopefully uh, a verdict and a trial and a conviction like this is just the beginning hopefully as more changes still needs to come in terms of social justice changes and this is one of those moments where you're happy with the results, but it's still hard to celebrate, like I mentioned, because George Floyd still lost his life because of this. So, I mean, we have the results now of this. I believe it's up to 40 years in prison with no parole. It could be longer. It's just one of those things where, where it's hard to, hard to put into emotions where you're happy, like I mentioned, but still one of those things. So, so it could be a little bit of relief. But it's just the, just the beginning steps of what needs to be done in terms of social justice. And hopefully we're moving in the right direction with something like this. I believe actually the, the new AG is looking into the Minneapolis Police Department in determining whether some of their training techniques are unlawful and stuff like that. So hopefully that's, that's another step in moving towards social justice and holding police officers, police officers accountable. Everybody needs to be held accountable. In this country i mean we hold our public officials accountable every year they can be impeached and then every four years for presidents and every two years for congress and every six years for senates we get to vote that's holding public officials accountable where if we don't like what they're doing we can vote them out just because you have a police badge just because you carry a gun you also are held accountable and now this is one of those things where we see that it is being held accountable Where in the past it may not have been. So one of those things where in, in the sports world reacting, a lot of players both like I like having some of the same reactions that I just had right there where they are relieved that this, this came down and are happy that the accountability is finally being held. And some are glad that this is justice for George Floyd, but some are like this is just the first step. So a lot of the sports world reacting to the news of this as well. So hopefully we can continue to move forward from here. But all right, that is all I have for you on this episode of the final, final podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody stay safe. Vaccines, the world seems to be going in an upwards direction. Everything seems to be coming back to normal in those terms. I got my first vaccine shot. Very excited to get my second vaccine shot so I can start doing more. I mean, mean, in Wisconsin, a lot of things are already open, which was great to see still in a safe manner too, where I mean, you can go out to a bar even and and just wear your face mask on the way in, stay at your little booth or table and then enjoy from there. So really exciting to see that the world is starting to (laughs) return back to the state that it should be. But all right, look for my next episode on the 2021 NFL draft, my mock draft episode coming up in the next couple of days. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe out there. And that is the final final.